0: Uh, Well, welcome. This is Holy Week, which means it is the most unique, actually the most important week, spiritually speaking, of the whole year. And we know, it's estimated, that around our world there will be two billion people who will celebrate the truths, beginning a triumphal entry, the Last Supper, Good Friday, why is it called good, and then Easter and so all around the world and the reason why this is Holy Week a unique week a week separate apart is because what we're celebrating are the most life transforming truths and for those who choose to enter into this spiritual journey. The spiritual adventure of Holy Week. They discover truths that are like none other. And they find breakthroughs. And they discover God's love in ways that they could never imagine. And they experience some things that, that are just unique to this week. And so one of the things that I want to do today is invite you into this journey. And so that you make this week really the week that it's designed to be spiritually in your spiritual journey. And so it is a great week. And so we're going to begin looking today at the events of the last week of Jesus' life. And Jesus knew it was the last week of his life. And he knew that his disciples, apostles, were going to go through the most desperate times this week. It's just going to be confusing times. Jesus wouldn't do what they expected, and then it would be confusing as they watched uh, all of the betrayal and the trial, and ultimately it would lead to a crisis of faith that's so deep that, all, that the apostles unbelieved. Uh, they disbelieved. They just couldn't believe anymore, and the reason why it's important to know that is because Jesus knew that all of us would go through the same kinds of experiences, Life would get very confusing for us. We would, in our jobs and careers, there'd be moments where we would lose our way or we would cry out to God and he wouldn't do the things that we expected or he wouldn't show up. Maybe even in our family, and marriage, there are times that things get confusing and we'd say, God, I need your help and we'd expect him to do certain things and he seems distant at those moments or doesn't do what we expect him to do. And then we find ourselves in desperate times where there's no hope and for lots of us, Jesus knew that we would end up in crisis moments where we weren't sure that we could even believe anymore and we'd walk away. And some of you have walked away and walked back and, or you're in the middle of that. And what I love about that is that you are in the right place because we're talking about Jesus's life. We're looking at Easter in this Holy Week. And wherever you are, it gives you an opportunity to think through where am I in this story and how does this play out in my life? So I have three goals for this morning. First is that I want to invite you into what is the most important week in your spiritual journey. And I have the easiest way for you to enter into this journey of Holy Week, and it's simply this, to read the second half of the book of John. It only takes 30 minutes, and I'm going to start you off today. I'm going to write it John 12. We're going to read John 12, so you're kind of jumping right in. You know, if you watch a jump rope, it's like, okay, now then you're in. And then you have the opportunity. So, wouldn't it be great for you to go on to this journey and experience all of what is Holy Week? So, don't you want to do that? Okay, you don't even know. So, wait till we get by the end of June. You know, the end of, uh, we'll get through uh, John chapter 12. You'll be excited. The second thing, is that I want to motivate you to join us on Friday for our Good Friday services. We have them at 12, 3, 4, 30, 6, and 7:30. I think is right. There's five of them, and the reason we have five is because it is just this powerful experience, if you've never been to them, where we go to the cross, you get to nail your sins, your failures, your brokenness to the cross, we have the Lord's Supper, and you can't really experience you're not ready for Easter unless you've gone through Good Friday, and it's a powerful experience. So I want to invite you to that and then also get you excited to invite friends to Good Friday. And then most importantly, that you'll be motivated to not only just come Easter, it's going to be outside. And just, and if it, you know, if the sun's too great for you, you can come in here and watch it from here and see the screens in the seat you're normally used to. But we'll be out there and it's just going to be a great room for everyone because we need to celebrate Easter. So those are my three goals, all right? Yeah, okay. So you're going to, by the end of this, you're going to read the, you know, go, I want to read the book of John. <clears throat> you're going to say, I'm coming to Good Friday Easter. All right. So in your outline, we're going to look at John chapter 12. The book of John was written by John. That's why it's cleverly been named John. John was an apostle and an eyewitness to all the events of Jesus' life. And he says in his book, I took the time to write an accurate account of Jesus's life. To record these things. There are many things he did, but these I recorded so that you would believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that you'd be willing to put your whole life, belief, trust in him, and by believing you would have life, real life, God's life, eternal life. So John records the events of Jesus' life, his birth, his character, who he is, he records his teaching. Uh, you can read, and then the miracles and his miracles are absolutely one of kind, one of a kind. He has power to heal diseases power over nature. He has power over the forces of evil. And then he does something that just happens in these weeks just before Easter that is absolutely stunning. Six days before the Passover celebration, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he raised from the dead. And so you go, now that, there's a miracle. Jesus has power over death. Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus and the disciples, the apostles, uh, brother to Mary and Martha. Lazarus got very sick and he, uh, it was so bad they sent for Jesus. Jesus doesn't show up. So Mary, Martha are just desperate. And then he dies and they bury him and he's been buried four days. So Lazarus isn't just sort of dead. He's very dead. And Jesus then shows up in this desperate moment. They're all heartbroken, and Jesus stands in front of the tomb of Lazarus and calls him back from the dead to life, demonstrating he has power over life. And no one doubted it because they saw it with their own eyes. Some refused to believe Jesus that, you know, he was who he says he was, but they didn't doubt because they saw it. So this incredible miracle, but John highlights the response of two people in particular— Mary and Judas, Judas, you all know who Judas is, right? So we got Judas. So you're going to see this response. And so I want to highlight uh, this for you. So when Mary, you know, this is after this has happened. Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume. You're going to see it's worth one year salary. And she anointed Jesus with it. And the house was filled with fragrance. So Mary is her, her whole life has been changed. I mean, she's seen the power of Jesus Who he is, and now experience the love in a unique way. Jesus raised her brother back from the dead. And she's overwhelmed by it because she was despaired. You can imagine what it was like. And then to see him come back, now she has this relationship that is restored. And Jesus does the impossible. And so Mary's response, it isn't a casual response, it isn't, it is an extravagant response. She takes perfume that you know in her day remember there wasn't banks in her day so you had to store wealth in gold or gems anything that's portable perfume this was one very valuable whatever you make in one year your household income that's what it's worth and so she takes it and in this extravagant response she just anoints Jesus, which is to anoint a king. He is the Lord of my life. He, you know, Jesus is when all I, you know, when I had nothing else, Jesus is all that I had and he is enough. And she responds and she doesn't care about the people they are watching. I mean, it's emotional. It is extravagant. Uh, there are tears and she is just, thank you, Jesus. I can't believe you love me. And it is absolutely overwhelming and beautiful. And you can imagine it just fills the house in the first century where there's a lot of nasty smells you know it's a beautiful action now it's easy to look at that and think (laughs) well you know if I was Mary I'd respond that way too I'd I'd be emotional I'd be extravagant a common sense response I wouldn't worry about people's response that's how you'd respond right would you do you and then contrasted to that is Judas's response Look at his response. That perfume is worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, back off, Scooter. Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You always have the poor, but you will not always have me. Judas, what's his response? Now think of it. Judas is a good friend to Lazarus. All the apostles were. He loved Lazarus and he loved Mary and Martha. He saw the miracle of Lazarus. I mean, he's heard Jesus teaching, but what is his response? Yeah, that's great you did that yesterday, but what about today? And will we have enough today? And will we have enough money today? And he's a thief. And ultimately, we know his heart, where it leads him, it destroys his soul. Because he's never grateful for what happens today and what God does. He's always worried about God's provision tomorrow. And so he he just destroys it. And so Jesus says, you know what, Judas, you have it wrong. In fact, Matthew, when he records the story, says this. He says, back off, Judas, because the story of Mary's response, every time the story of Easter is told, the story of the good news of God's love for people is told, the story of Mary is going to be told because it is such a beautiful response and it models what it looks like when a person understands they are loved by God. Mary models for us what it means when we really understand we are loved by God. And as I read that, I thought, what are my responses? I mean, sometimes I am a Mary-like response, and I'm grateful, and I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you for what you do. But there are a lot of times that I have a Judas response that's destroying my soul, where I'm saying, hey, great, I needed that, but now I need this, and now I need that. And I took a moment, and I sat down, I just kind of sat down with myself, and I began to look through and think through my life. And what was sad is that I looked at many things that I had been asking God for, and when he delivered him. I mean, there were miracles and things that he did that were just demonstrations of God's love. I simply checked the box, thanks, and went on. But my response was not like Mary. It wasn't extravagant. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't the sense of, Jesus, you are all I need, and you are all that I have, and I love you, and raise my hands and break out in praise and just thank you, thank you, thank you. And so what I did is I sat myself down and I had a little worship service with Jesus and I began to think through and think back. And do you know what I remembered? I remembered how he had brought dead and dying things back to my life, back in in my life. There were times, there were hopes and dreams I had that I thought were dead. And as I reflected on it, when I thought there was just no way something could happen and then Jesus stepped in and he brought back to life a dream or a hope. There were relationships that I had I had one relationship that was 12 years dead, and it was so painful, and there was such a sadness, and as I reflected on it, Jesus had resurrected that relationship. He brought it back to life, and I live in loving relationship with that person, and I even thought, you know, I raised four sons, and, and there were times with some of them where it looked like our relationship wasn't going to make it, just me yeah, as a parent and a son and challenges. And yet today, I have have great relationships with all four. All of that is a miracle. And you know what? I can't just take that for granted. And so I began to sing and praise and respond to God. And I got all emotional and crazy because, you know what? It's not enough just to have a common sense response. It isn't adequate just to go, oh, hey, thanks. Wow, what about tomorrow? But to go, thank you. Thank you. you have been good. And God, you are good not just last time and not just this time. And even when I can't see it, God, you are good all the time. Because Mary, she didn't know what would happen. And yet God was good even when she couldn't see what God was doing. And I went through it and I realized there were times that I didn't even know what to ask for. But when I look back, God was good and he saved and he rescued and he delivered when I didn't even know what to ask I went God you are good and thank you and I just broke out into praise and I didn't care who saw me and I didn't care that I was all emotional and everything because it wasn't enough to just be common sense it required an extravagant emotional response and that's what it looks like when someone understands God's love do you respond like Mary do you respond? Yeah, you can't even clap right now, right? It's like, I got good yeah, yeah. Or are you Judas-like? Because some of us, and you know what happened? Judas, I mean, those responses, ultimately, it's soul damaging. Judas-like response is like the kid who went with his parents to Yosemite. And just when they got there and they were at the floor of Yosemite, just ready to look at that, he gets out of the car and he looks down and there's three quarters in the dirt parking lot. So he gets those three quarters and they were there for three days and for the next three days all he does is look down in the dirt looking for more money and by the end of the three days he's got $5.47 and he never saw the beauty of Half Dome or Vernal Falls or the beautiful rivers and streams because all he was doing is looking down in the dirt trying to find change and that's what Judas was doing. Jesus, that's great you did this, but just looking, what are you going to do now? And what about tomorrow? And will there be enough? And never believing that you'll be good and you'll provide. So where are you going to look on your journey in this holy week? Are you going to look up and say, God, look at the good things you're doing and look at what you have done and look at how you have provided and I'm going to be grateful every time I see it and I'm going to tell people about it. I'm not going to go, are you going to just be like Judas and go, yeah, but what about this and what about that and I need this and I need that. Which one are you going to be? Because you know what, this week, I'm being merry. I'm going to have a merry-like response. That's what I want to do. How about you? How are you going to respond? So second one, in confusing times. In confusing times, do you know what we need to do? We need to remember who Jesus is. And do you know who Jesus is? He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that's what we celebrate this week. Do you know what the history of today is? Palm Sunday? No? Good. Glad you're here. Because I'm going to tell you. Because the history of today goes back 3,500 years years. Here's the story of what is today, Palm Sunday. 3,500 years ago, God's people lived as slaves in Egypt, and they cried out to God, and they cried out, your word is Hosanna. You say, Hosanna. Hosanna. Deliver us. Hosanna. Save us. Save us. No, no, you keep saying Hosanna, okay? I'm sorry, I got it. Just uh, Give me three Hosanna. So God's people cried out, Hosanna. deliver us. Hosanna. Save us free us. And God did. And he sent a deliverer whose name was Moses. Good. Read the Old Testament or watch the movie. It's 3,500 years ago. All right. He sends a deliverer to these people. And so Moses, he says, you go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses goes and Pharaoh says, No way. I'm not letting him go. So God says, all right, I'm going to send a plague. And he sends 10 plagues, which is this giant showdown between the deities of the false gods of Egypt and the true God, the one true God. And so God attacks all of these gods of Egypt. First, the Nile River, which was their source of water. You know, of course, that's a source of life. So they believed that was important. And then uh, their own health was attacked. Creation was attacked. The sun god, Ra, there was a, you know, and so he goes through. And each time, Pharaoh says, I don't care. I'm not setting the people free. I don't care. I'm bigger than your God. I'm more powerful. Finally, the 10th plague is the plague of death. God says the firstborn male of every family will die. Now, watch how many people that is. If you are the firstborn male in your family, raise your hand and just keep it up for a second. Look around the room. All of you, this is your story right now, all right? So he says, but you can avoid dying. And this is how you can avoid dying. He says, announce to the community that on the 10th day of this month, what, what day? 10th yeah. day of this month, each family must choose a lamb. What is lamb selection day? tenth day and now it's going to be the first month of the year the Jewish calendar is a little bit different God's people's calendar because it's based on the moon and so that's why Easter moves around a lot and if you want to understand it go look it up online but the point is is that it's the first month he says every year I want you to begin the year remembering this he says on the tenth month each family must choose a lamb tenth day is lamb selection day take special care of this animal actually they actually brought him into their house made it a pet and he says on the 14th day of the month four days later okay first then uh of the evening Wait, 14 days the first then the whole assembly must slaughter the lamb now one of the things that people mistake in when they read the old testament is they say god was a bloodthirsty god and this is gruesome remember these people couldn't go to the store and buy meat. They had to raise meat, and they were used to, on a regular basis, harvesting meat. And so that was not a big deal for them. So here's the story. God says, look at the death angel's going to come, every firstborn male's going to die. But here's how you can avoid it. You take this animal, it has to be a, a perfect animal. You can't take, you know, an animal ready to die. It had to be a perfect lamb. Okay, not, don't lob a leftover at God. Perfect animal. And he says, and you bring it into your house. So you can imagine, comes into your house, your kids are going to name it because it's a, pot, you know, Puffy. And so now Puffy's in there and Puffy's sleeping with the kids and they have a great time. And then on the... 14th day, the father's got to take Puffy out and all the kids are falling out. What are you doing with Puffy, dad? And and so they're seeing him, they go, wait, wait, why are you going to kill Puffy? And he turns back and he says, because it's either Puffy or it's you, but somebody's going to die tonight and it's not going to be you because God's going to save you through Puffy. So Puffy dies and they barbecue Puffy. Puffy They eat them, Which is, you know, yeah, okay. But you go buy it. It's not that good. And so, then you take the blood and put it on the doorpost. And it worked. So, the death angel goes through all of Egypt. And every place there is blood on the doorpost, the death angel passes over. Where do you think Passover got its name? That's right, Passover. And here's it, and it worked. And so, the death angel passed over. So, they were delivered from death. And not only that, they were freed because of this out of the slavery of Egypt and released to go to the promised land. And so God says every first month of the year, which is April for God's people, on the 10th day you're going to take a lamb and then on the 14th day you're going to do it. And you're going to every year celebrate Passover to remember how I delivered you from come on death and delivered you out of the slavery of Egypt to release you to go to the Every year, celebrate this, remembering, and also know this. Someday, someday, I'm going to send the perfect sin sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God, who will come and deliver you from eternal death and the slavery of sin so that you can live the promised life. And so God's people for 1,500 years celebrate the Passover. So Jesus now is going to come into... Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So watch really carefully. The next day when large crowds had come to the festival, they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out. Why did they take palm branches? Because palm branches was how you would you would welcome a king and you would lay him in front of him. And so Jesus comes in riding on a donkey and it's like, Jesus is king. You are the Lord. You are the ruler. Mostly they were looking for him to conquer Rome, but they were going, you are the Lord because you can raise people from the dead. And they kept shouting, deliver us, save us, rescue us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the king. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem on Sunday. All right. So that's, you know, why is it called Palm Sunday? Sunday, which is guess what day of the month it is. I'll give you a hint. Passover is going to be the 14th, which is the Thursday of this week. So what's Sunday? The 10th. So Jesus enters Jerusalem on lamb selection day oh my gosh and while every family in jerusalem is choosing a lamb to celebrate passover god announces to his people i have chosen a lamb this is the perfect lamb the lamb of god that will deliver you from eternal death and slavery of sin and release you so that you can live the promised life Oh, my. And that's why in John 121, it says, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. In John three sixteen, that God loved you and the world so much that he gave his son, who is the, wow, that's a distance to get that week, the Lamb of God. Good. All right. Now, here's the problem. Everybody had an agenda for Jesus. The disciples, oh, they lost their mind on Palm Sunday. they you know, the crowds are screaming. They're going, Hosanna and praise God. And, you are here, deliver us. And the disciples are going, that's what I'm talking about. Finally, people understand who Jesus is. And these guys now are rock stars. They're going, you're a follower of Jesus? Wow. And people want their signatures and everything else because finally people are understanding who Jesus is. And they're going, this is awesome. The problem is what happens by Friday. Opposition grows and now they're yelling crucify him and he goes through betrayal and then he is beaten so you can't even recognize who he is and then he's put on a cross and he dies and they're looking at this and going what happened and you can imagine the confusion in their brains. And all the people in Israel are going, hey Jesus, this is great, you're a king, but we want you to defeat Rome and he doesn't do that. So they're so angry at him, they want to kill him. And other people see a supernatural power and they want to co-opt it and they don't understand why he just won't do what they want him to do. And the reason we get confused is because we have an agenda for Jesus that is different than his. And we forget that Jesus comes the first time to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And that's why in the Last Supper, during the Passover, Jesus says, you're gonna forget. You're gonna forget the most important thing in the world and you need to remember what's most important. And so he reframes all of what is the Passover and what we now understand communion because he goes, you're gonna forget. And you know why you need to be here for Good Friday services? Because you forget too. And you need to remember and I need to remember that Jesus is the Lamb of God and we have this powerful service where we go to the cross and we remember all of what Jesus did. Why did he have to die? And why did he have to die in such a brutal way? And we remember what he did because we are broken and that's what it cost God to deliver us from death and out of the slavery of sin so that we could live the promised life. I need to remember that. You need to remember it. How can you experience Easter unless you go through the painful reality of Good Friday? We have a great time and we get to nail our failures and brokenness to the cross. If you haven't been to it, you've got to come. This Friday we have five services. I need it, you need it, and you know what else? There are some friends that you have that need to be invited to the Good Friday service because better than anything for some of your friends it communicates what they need to understand. Because your friends like mine, when you invite them to church, what do they say? A lot of them say, ah, oh, you know what? I can't come to church, I gotta fix up my life. I, you know, if I came to church, the walls would burn down, fall down. You know, I just, I don't, I don't, you know, if I could tidy up my life, I gotta be a little bit more. If I can just be a little bit better, maybe I can go to church. But you know what Good Friday just screams at them? If you could be a little bit better and make yourself right with God, Why would Jesus go through this kind of pain, this kind of beatings, go through the crucifixion, if you could just kind of clean your life up a little bit? The crucifixion shows there's no way that you could make your life better. It's the cost of our sin. And some of our friends, they need to know it because they think that, no, you know, my sin isn't that bad. This shows us really the badness of our sin. And other people... They cry out to God, but they don't even know what they should cry out to God for. I've got some friends, and because I'm a pastor, you know, if they run into some crisis, a health crisis, they don't pray, but they'll go, hey, Kent, would you pray for me? Because, I mean, I'm losing my health. Or if they're in a business deal and they're so afraid they might lose a dollar, do they want prayer then? Go, will you pray? You know, just because I need that dollar. Or their marriage And they cry out, Hosanna, save me, deliver me, rescue me. And they don't understand that while Jesus does save and rescue in those moments, that why he came was such a bigger reason. He came to deliver you from the penalty of eternal death and separation so that you can be free from the slavery of sin and be set free to live the life that you were created to live. That's why Jesus came. And some of my friends, that's what they need to understand and that it is possible to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So you want to be here for Good Friday. It's part of this journey of Holy Week. And you want to invite some of your friends because there is no more powerful expression of the gospel than to understand what is the cross. So you've got a Good Friday is part of this journey. And then in... Uh, In crisis moments, you really need the truth of Easter. You know, one of the things that happens is the disciples, as they're following Jesus and they see the betrayal and the beating, and then Jesus die on the cross, and then he's buried. I mean, to them, it's just all over. And as a result of that, they just disbelieve. They unbelieve. They go, it's all over. And I think for some of us, some of you are in this room, and that's where you're at. mean you're here but you're really looking at the door because you've gone through some heartbreaking experiences or things have happened and God didn't show up the way you thought he should show up and so you're going I'm not sure I can believe I'm not sure I can follow I don't know that I can hold on I don't even know why I'm in church really I don't know and you're just looking at the door and thinking "I, I just I can't stay in but that's what happened to the stained glass guys I mean the apostles all disbelieved They all walked away. And the great story of Jesus' life, I mean, we'll just look at what happened. So Jesus, look at the story. Jesus replied to them, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. This is before. He's warning them. So glory, you understand what glory is? Is the glory is the beauty of God, the splendor of God, the majesty of God. Glory is God at his best. When is God at his best? This is what's amazing. It says, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. God at his best is during, you know, you take when we're at our worst, when Jesus is betrayed and then beaten, the trial, the crucifixion, you know, when are we absolutely at our worst? What's the worst moment in our history is when God comes to this earth to tell us that he loves us. And we reject him and we're so angry at God that he might want to control our life that we put him on a cross and we kill him. It is absolutely our worst moment. And last week, Eric talked about how in Romans 8, 28, it says, but we know that God in all things works together for good. And so we take our baddest moment, the worst moment, when we put Jesus on a cross. And what's incredible, that was bad. It's very bad. And yet God brings about the greatest good in our life. Because when Jesus dies on the cross, he dies and destroys the power of sin and death in our life. And he goes, look it, it's planted in the soil and dies and it remains alone. But it's death. Speaking of his death and then resurrection will produce many new kernels. Jesus dies, but you know, a seed when it's planted in the ground through the miracle of germination, it grows and it it produces more seeds. And so you have this harvest of new lives. And Jesus says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. And so Jesus is saying, you got to experience Easter. And yeah, I'm going to go to the cross and die. And it's going to seem like a crisis moment. And when you can't believe and you don't understand, but just because you can't, see it and you don't understand it doesn't mean that God's not doing a great thing. So Jesus dies on the cross to destroy the power of sin and death. But on the third day, he rises from the dead so that it gives us the courage to look at the most frightening thing in our life, which is death. And we stand and face death at memorial services or funeral services. And we can with courage say, this death will not be the last word spoken over my life because Jesus rose from the dead. And we can stand in a graveyard or in a memorial service with our fist clenched and say, it doesn't end here. Relationships aren't gone and there is no hope because Jesus rose from the dead. I have hope. It doesn't end here. The impossible is possible because of the resurrection. And so Jesus says, look, it just trust me. Trust me. Look at what he says. Anyone who wants to be my disciple, follow me. Trust in the light while well, it's still time. You'll become children of the light. If you trust me, trust not only me, but the God who sent me. Trust me. He says, trust me, trust me, trust me. And did the disciples trust him? No, and neither do you. Because in crisis moments, we lose our way. And all of a sudden, we disbelieve or we unbelieve and we think that's it. And we think all is lost. But if you will choose to read the second half of the book of John, you will see Peter, who's a great example, who lost it. Just I mean, he denied Jesus. He disbelieved. He quit believing. But even in that moment, because of God's great love, because of the cross and forgiveness, he restores Peter because he says, Peter, it's not about you holding on to me. I've got a hold of you, and I love you, and you are my love child, and so you learn it's never been about your power and your strength to hold on and to believe. It is about God's good strength. That's a message of Easter, and here's in in the last week of Jesus's life. This is one of my favorite stories. We'll end with this. Mark 11. When they arrive back in Jerusalem, this actually happens tomorrow on Monday. First thing Jesus does. He entered the temple, and he began to drive the people out buying and selling. So Jesus just gets a whip, goes crazy, and just starts, I mean, driving people out of the temple. He says, my temple will be called a house of prayer for. Read it with me. A house of prayer for. One more time. A house of prayer for. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. You have to understand, the temple was a place of God's presence, and it announced to the whole world, there's a good God who loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And he's not distant and far and uncaring. And he didn't just create the universe and wind it up. But he's here and he's present and he can be known. That's what the temple said. It screamed it. And the temple was a center place where there were festivals and feasts and sacrifices. And again, you had the sacrifices because those people sinned. They would come and do a sacrifice. And you, you know, you read the Old Testament and go, oh, he's just such a bloody God. Remember, these people couldn't go to stores and buy things. They were used to harvesting animals. But what the picture is, is powerful. Because they would take an innocent animal, had nothing to do with your sin, and it would be sacrificed. It would die. Innocent would die. And the blood would cover you so that one day, you know, so that you could go free with the promise that one day God would send the perfect sin sacrifice who would cover your sin forever so that you could go free. Screaming, God loves you. God will provide a way. God will protect you. God will provide a way. That's what the whole purpose of the temple was. And yet, what did God's people do? Because it was for all. All people. It was for all people. But God's people they just created barriers for people. They said, no, no, God's love is only for people like me. Oh, no, God's love for only people who do it the right way. Only you got to do it. And they created all sorts of crazy barriers. They, they created financial and economic barriers. So you would come to the temple. God never intended this. And so, you know, your money's no good. So I'll take 10 of your dollars and give you one temple dollar. So... <laughs> That's fun, right? And so now your money doesn't go as far. And then you have to buy the animals in the temple, which, you know, so your animals are no good. They charge exorbitant prices. So they created an economic barrier that was unnecessary. They created an ethnic barrier where it said, it's only people like me. They're the only ones that get in. They created a political barrier. Who would create a political barrier to God and somehow think they had a corner on God? Who would do that? And then... And then they created irritating religious barriers. And Jesus saw these barriers that people created and he drove him out of his mind. And he just, and he drove everybody out of the temple because he goes, God's love is for all nations, all people. God's love is open to every person. And one of the things, the reason why We have to declare Easter and invite our friends to Easter because one of the greatest dangers in life is that people just draw barriers in their minds. We do it in our minds. We create barriers and say, you know what, I'm not good enough. I can't come to God. I'm not good enough. I failed. I've done some things that are wrong. I just know God would reject me and that is a barrier that's got to be destroyed because everyone has access to God's love regardless of what you've done, regardless of your failures. Everyone has access to God's love. Right? And there's other people who actually believe, but I don't look like you. And I haven't made the same lifestyle choices as you. And because I don't look like you, or I'm not the same ethnic, or my choices aren't the same, somehow I don't have access to God's love. Somehow that poison has seeped into their mind, and they, they don't believe they have access to God's love. And that's not true. There's, they have to be people like me, like us, like you. And you go, that's not true, because Jesus said, everyone has access to God's love through Jesus. Everyone does. And we have to be the ones who proclaim it because somehow they're confused. And so we've got to go into our neighborhoods, to our friends, to our coworkers and say, God's love, is—you. everyone has access and you've got to come to Easter. It's the best news ever. Because God loves you. And it's about a relationship. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You remain in me. You have a relationship with me. You'll produce much fruit. Outside of me, you can't do anything. But Jesus said, if you read through the book of John, look at what he says. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And as the Father sent me, so God sent Jesus into the world, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and gave them the Holy Spirit. Jesus was sent into the world for one purpose. What's the one purpose? to communicate God's great love to all people and so now Jesus says so I've given you my love now what's your job now you go out into the world and you communicate God's great love to them God's love is accessible to every everyone has access to God's love everyone does that's what we go out and proclaim so is this so cool or what This is Holy Week, and so you have this great opportunity to join in the adventure of this unique week to learn the most powerful lessons. Don't you want to do that? Now you got John 12, what do you have to do for the rest of this week? Just read the rest of the book of John, and you're all in the last week of Jesus' life. And then secondly, don't you want to be here for Good Friday, just focus on the cross, and understand what does it mean for Jesus to be the Lamb of God? It takes away the sins of the world. And then Easter, oh my. It is the most important celebration of the Christian's year. There is no bigger event than the resurrection of Jesus because it shows that he is who he says he is and that he does what he says he will do. And we will go out, we will celebrate and it's outside where Easter should be. And you've got friends because we have room for them all because you want them to know God's great love is accessible for awe. That is good news. So you know what the best way for that to sink into your heart? To sing it into your heart. So let's just stand together and let's sing these powerful truths into our heart.
1: Praise to our Lord. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus.
0: begun this journey at Eastern, don't you want to, will you just read the rest of the book of John, will you do that, yes, say yes, okay, so just so you know, you're in church, and you said yes to a pastor, so you don't do that, all sorts of battle happen, you'll enjoy this unique week, Um, if you have any needs for prayer, there's a team that meets over here by these lights, they'd love to pray with you, if your need is to be prayed for healing, Outside these doors to the right, elders will pray for your healing, physically, spiritually, emotionally. They're available to you. And then this week, it's just a great week, this week that is Holy Week. And so, Good Friday, powerful services. Then, of course, on Easter, and you want to invite your friends, and you think, if I just... If I just had a way to, you know, when I invited them to to remind them and to tell them when the services are, because it's going to be this great event outdoors, and you know we'll use this room for overflow. So if you know you're insecure, God won't show up out there; you can be in here, and uh, there'll be a seat for everyone. But you go, kind well, if we invite. How do I know? Well, we've got these cards, and it tells them when it is and the time and everything is a way. Is that the best? And so you just can hand them out to all your friends. Hold out your hands. Receive God's blessing. Father, look at your children. They love you. Would you bless them and keep them, hold them fast with your love? Would you cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them all through the week? And Lord, would you lift up the light of your countenance? Would you bend low when they cry out? And would you rescue and save and deliver? And God, would you give them your peace? We ask in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in God's grace. You have a great day.